right, thank you so much, Brad and the band, and what, a, what an awesome chance to worship together, and, and River Church family, it's so good to see you up here at the Norris, air-conditioned, there's a roof over our heads, we're here, we're happy, I had some coffee, and all is well in the world, and I'm going to pray um, one more prayer, because you can't pray too much at church. Lord, thank you so much, God, for this opportunity to look into your word and to finish out Romans. And what a privilege, what an honor, what a joy to do that. I pray that today you would, um, your word would just uh, leave an impression upon us and we could continue worshiping you with every ounce of our being. We love you and we pray this as your followers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we are, we're, chapter 16 of Romans, we're there and um, totally related, right now with my kids, Brixton mainly, my son Brixton, who's he's almost five, we're going through the Star Wars series. We're going through it, and we're doing it chronologically, which I know is a deep, deep problem. It's, it's, it's errant in every possible way, uh, so please talk to my wife about that afterwards and try to get her onto the, the, the correct side of the force on that, on that process. But my son, he, he, needs to follow, like, he needs to follow the story of Star Wars and we're now, like, speaking of, by the way, like, child dedications, we did the same thing where Michelle was dedicated to the Lord, and Brixton, we kind of didn't do that, and, and now he wants to be a Sith Lord. He, he's, like, very, very attracted to the dark side of the force. So if in the lobby afterwards he's doing this to you, he's trying to kill you. He's trying to choke you to death, just letting you know what's happening there. So let's pray for Brixton, and maybe we'll do a big group, just get all the kids that haven't been dedicated. Okay, so... My two favorite parts in Star Wars. Okay, so this new Star Wars coming out in December, I think. I'm not getting paid by Disney to do this, by the way. Um, my favorite part of the movie. I haven't seen it yet, but I know what my favorite part of the movie is. The lights go down, the final previews are over, and all of a sudden, boom, Star Wars, right? And the whole crowd just goes nuts. The song hits. I don't even know how I was going to do this song, but I think I'm going to mix it up with a different one. But, right? And we're all just so fired up and like goosebumps. And we're like, we're here, finally, Star Wars. And then the worst part of the movie, Jar Jar Binks. Yes. No, the worst part, unless they have like a a torturous death of him in this one, it might be good. No, the worst part of the movie is at the very end, right? When it's finally over, like George Lucas's name comes up and you're all like, oh. I want more. And then the credits roll. And you're thinking, get me out of here quick before like the stampede and I get to my car and I'm all good. Well, here we are in Romans, the greatest letter many have argued, one of the greatest letters of Paul, the most celebrated letter of Paul. And we are like, finally, like the George Lucas, except for it's like Paul of Tarsus comes up and we're in the credits now. And, and while we are maybe itching to kind of like, sweet, I'll jump now to 1 Corinthians. I get to go to the, uh, continue on, skip this piece. What I want to argue today, or I want to show or show you why I think this, I want to show you that I think Romans 16 is maybe the coolest chapter in the entire, entire beautiful letter that Paul writes. I think it's the coolest chapter. And let me take this up a notch even further. It just might hold within it the answers to the biggest questions humans have ever asked about why are we here? And, slightly less profound, but super profound, especially for those of you that are in these seats here today, it also helps us think about this question, like, why do we church? 
Why do we show up together? Why do we do this thing every week that we do? What's the point or purpose of it? What's the why? The big fat why of it all. So that's today we're going to be looking at. And to start talking about Romans 16, what I want to do is I want to zoom out like as far as you can go. Right? So this is like if you're in Google Earth, right, you're zooming out past the South Bay, Southern California, California, U.S., and now it's just a globe sitting there. Right? That's where we're going to go. We're going to go so far out, and then we're going to come straight back down into Romans 16 by way of Jesus in the Gospels. So buckle up and let's do this thing. What is life all about? What is the meaning of life? Why are you here breathing, thinking, acting, feeling, wondering, desiring neurotransmitters transmitting, muscles and synapses and things doing whatever happens inside of you. Ask Doug McFarland about it. He'll tell you. Why are you here? What's the point of it all? The answer from the Hebrew Bible, the answer from the scriptures, the the sort of transcendent God's eye view on this is provided for us all over the place in the scriptures. But in the garden narratives, in the garden narratives in the Hebrew Bible, right, early on, I think some of the coolest answers to this question are provided. And these are also, again, answers I think will tie in sweetly to Romans 16. And in Genesis chapter 3, I mean, it's a very short, packed, small account of a very massive, profound reality. And it's also given in such a way, if you read like ancient Near Eastern cosmologies, which I spend a decent amount of time doing during the semester, and you then look at the Hebrew Bible, you'll realize that the Hebrew Bible is telling a story, and it's telling it in a way that's beautiful and stylized. There's, it's a director's cut of it. It's poetic. It's truthful. And it's pushing against all these other kinds of beliefs about deities or about what humans are, what this earth is, that are popular in that world, okay? So it's, it's a counter-narrative. It's correcting. It's almost in some ways polemical. That means it's going after some jacked-up ideas and saying, uh, yeah, that, 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 I don't think so. Let me tell you what you really are. Let me answer the question of what is a human. Let me answer the question of what is the divine. And let me tell you about what is the earth and how do these things work together and what should they be doing. And it gives us a picture in Genesis 1, 2, and part of 3 about what was going on before humans balled up their fists and decided to throw a, like, say, sorry God, I want to do it not your way totally, I want to do it your way and then a little my way. So a little sweet little cocktail of you and me and let's see how it tastes. And it turns out to be like, like a peanut butter and jelly. But I like bologna. Let's put bologna in there, too. And that sandwich, you bite into that. Picture it right now. Yeah, that thing's horrible, right? It turns out pretty, pretty terrible. And then shockwaves throughout the rest of um, space-time. And God then persistently and beautifully working out the plan of redemption throughout the... Well, we're in the midst of it even now, but throughout salvation history. Okay, so do I talk about that a lot? Yes, I talk about Genesis every chance I get. But I want to show you a really sweet, cool, awesome verse in the middle of Genesis 3 that I think paints a picture as to why you are alive and what you are meant to do. And it says in Genesis 3, this is the part of the account where the serpent comes into Eve, and Eve means in Hebrew. Anyone know what it means? I know some people here know Eve means in Hebrew. Woman. You know what Adam means? Man. You know what Seth means? The son of Adam and Eve? Name. (laughs) Okay, that's literally what it means. Okay, so when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable, remember the serpent goes, oh, this tree, oh, yeah, God said you shouldn't have that? Oh, come on, really? 
I mean, look at it. It's delicious. It's organic. She's like, all right. She took some of it and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed together fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. So, like, one of the first consequences of, of human rebellion was loss of innocence, like total loss of innocence. And then we're going to see the next consequence is a deep loss of relationship. Verse 8, and this is a beautiful picture, although tragic, yet beautiful. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees. So, again, is God like a giant dude with a big beard that stomps around walking places? I think this is beautiful imagery and maybe a way in which God related. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly good people can disagree on what to do with that. But I want to tell you what, what we must do with that. We must see in here, or what I think we see in here, is a picture of what was going on before the great tragedy of sin entered and and sort of the gangrene of rebellion hit the world. What was going on? Here's what was going on. Here's the dance that was being um, uh, uh, played out. It was walking in the garden in the cool of the day with God, in harmony with one another and in harmony with him. Like, God, why did you make us? Why are we here? Why is my heart beating and my sort of hair going gray slowly but surely? Why am I here? Answer that question. Because I want to take walks with you in the garden in the cool of the day. I want to enjoy this creation with you and you with your fellow humans. And I want us to just enjoy. Oh, try this one. You're going to love it. Oh, look at that cool bird. Listen how beautiful those birds sound. The peacock screaming was a product of the fall, by the way. So, so this is what's going on throughout history prior to the fall, taking walks in the garden in the cool of the day with God and with others. Do you see the, how that answers a question about what is the earth? What are we? And what is the ultimate God? And what are we here to do? This picture. And then we, go, we fast forward up to Jesus of Nazareth. We're getting to Romans 12. You get Jesus of Nazareth. You're asked, hey, Jesus, quick question for you. I know you're a busy man. What is the most important thing in the world if God could communicate one thing to us, what would it be? And he gives us a twofer, right? And what is it? What's his answer to that question? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you conflate all the Gospels together and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the prophets, basically saying all divine communication boil is hung around these things. All of divine communication, all of God's intention for human beings needs to be organized around these two things, loving God and loving others with a ferocity, with a generosity, with a fullness. That's why you're here. Do you see how that sort of connects you back up into that garden? Walks in the cool of the day with God. One of the reasons that Bill McPhee gave one of the best sermons I've ever heard on Romans 8, where, where in Romans 8 where it talks about creation itself groaning right now. It's groaning for God's redemption. There is a sense in which even creation is in frustration, longing back to that garden where there's this harmony of man and God and the earth and this great... So these are the pictures, these are the images, and you fast-forward then into the apocalypse of John or Revelation or Jesus' teachings about end times, and it's not Kurt Cameron running around, right, being chased, or, or now Nick Cage is actually in the new Left Behind. Um, God, let's pray for Nick Cage real quickly, his career. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
Why are we talking about Nick Cage? That's right. When you look at the, the pictures in the Bible about, about what does it look like, the, the, the culmination of all things, it's images of gardens. It's images of feasting. It's images of music and dancing and laughter and love and communion. And well, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death thou shalt die, in the words of John Donne, the great poet. Right? This is the image. So I just want you to see the continuities. And we've got to remember that. So when we ask the question about church, about life, about what we're here to do, keeping those in mind, when, when we get to Romans, 16, I mean, Romans 12 through 16, the, the chunk we just were finishing today. And remember Romans 12, where Paul urges the, the Roman church, Offer your lives as living sacrifices. Offer your lives as living sacrifices. How do we do that? That sounds creepy. What does that look like? Well, Romans 12 through 16, or through 15, are playing that out for you. What does it look like? It looks like it's happening in the midst of messy, authentic, God-infused, inspired, redeemed relationships. It's happening when you are outdoing one another in giving honor rather than seeking after it. It's happening when the least of those are given the most honor in the community. It's happening when forgiveness and love and acceptance is happening. It's happening when gossip and division is dying, is being choked out by my son using the force. Right? That's when it's happening. That's when the living sacrifices takes place. And then we get to 16. And what I love about chapter 16 is... Paul could be giving these great platitudes, theological genius kinds of stuff, and leave it at that. Here is some good teaching. Bless you. And i got to tell you something. I feel this way a lot about myself, where not the good teaching part, but the teaching part, where it's like I, could, I teach for a living. So, you know, I'm a professor, and I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I, I do a lot of talking. And I could probably talk and kind of bore you to death. And it's a bunch of good stuff, but when I ask the question, like, am I doing that? Is that really something you'll see in my life? Sometimes you'll teach something, like, that's a great thing. Go for that, students. I can't do it, right, a lot of times in life. And yet Paul doesn't leave it at that. He, he preaches it, and then he goes, and he decides to show it. He does this beautiful show and tell. And this long chapter of greetings is so much more than a credit reel. It's Paul showing us, showing us, what it looks like to live out your purpose, your human, God-given purpose on this earth. And let's check this out. Romans 16, he says, starts off, I commend to you, he starts off, our sister Phoebe. I love, I want you, as we read through this list, I'm going to, I talk quick, and I'm going to read quick, and I'm going to be all over the place, because this list is all over the place. And then I'll slow down and stop. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Krenchnia, which is near Corinth. I ask you, receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you. For why? She has been a benefactor, a prostatus is the, the Greek term. This is one who takes care of, makes sure things are moving well. This is like Julian at Chick-fil-A. He's the prostatus at Chick-fil-A. You go into Chick-fil-A at Culver City, things are going to be happening. You're going to have a conversation with him. He's going to be like this the whole time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah, great. Talking to you, fixing some problem. It's what he does. He's the, he's the overseer. He makes things run there, right? This is Phoebe. Phoebe is someone that has been a benefactor to many people, including Paul. She has been a critical piece of Paul's ministry church planning network. And he starts there. She may, so, so this means she's coming with a letter, by the way. So she's going to show up. She's going to have the letter. And he's like, hey, receive her. 
I want to tell you who this woman is. She's awesome. All right, so check this out. And by the way, I want you to think about this list in the context of Roman patriarchal culture, which it's a man's world, as James Brown once told us, right? It's a man's world. The best thing most women could do in the Roman traditional concept would be to be at home and spin wool. They were really obsessed with that. It's kind of weird. Like, all Roman matrons that are noble, of noble birth and of worth, are always at home spinning wool. I don't know. Into that. They're into that stuff. So, in that context, where a women's role is very sort of in the home, tucked away, not involved in important dude stuff. Look at the network of Paul's church planning ministry. Starts off with Phoebe. Then he goes, oh yeah, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Why? They risked their lives for me. But not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. We don't know that story. It must have been awesome. Also, greet the church that meets in their house. Oh, greet my dear friend Apennitus, who's the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. That's Roman Asia, so western Turkey. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Andronicus, verse 7, chapter 16, verse 7. By the way, um, I, I, do, I do teach Greek at Biola, and this is the one verse, if you come to me and say, do I have a good, tran- what's my translation? What, how, do you like the translation I'm using? I always go to, this. I have a couple of verses I go to, this is one of them. I always go to Romans 16, 7, I want to see what they do with this important person. It says, greet Andronicus and Junia. Everyone say Junia. Everyone say, you know, I was going to give you a long sentence to repeat. There was no one named Junius in the ancient world, right? Some of your translations might say Junius. We can talk about why that is. But basically, a translator is trying to do a sex change on this, this lady. Her name is Junia, okay? It says, greet Andronicus and Junia, who are outstanding among the apostles. They were in Christ before I was. Okay, so he mentions this, this, this dude and this woman who were in Christ before him and are outstanding among the apostles, Greet Ampilatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanicus, our co-worker in Christ, my dear friend Stachus. Oh, Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my fellow Jew. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet uh, Tryphenia and Tryphosa. These women work hard in the Lord. Oh, yeah, Perseus, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Rufus. Remember that? Throwback to the 90s? Bell and Ted's Excellent Adventure? No? Okay. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Uh, how many of you have had mothers in the Lord? Like, I gotta tell you, I have like 14 of them, or 15 of them, here in the River Church itself. Like, just mothers in the Lord. Beautiful thing. Notice also, as he's greeting people, he's making careful note, like, oh, greet this person. Oh, yeah, they're a Jew like me. So when Paul says in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ. He's not saying, I don't see ethnic difference anymore. I just walk around like this. We're all one. No, he's saying we are all one of status. We have all equal access to ministry and the gifts and the glories that come with being a follower of Jesus. But he's totally excited about mentioning, look at this beautiful mosaic of ethnic difference that our church is. This is a miracle to Paul. It is a miracle to Paul. And also notice, he's very, when he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ, it's not just lip service. Look how many women and men are in critical roles in the Pauline network of church planting. They're, they're off the bench in the game. It's so beautiful because he's not just talking a big game. He's showing what's going on. 
back to the greetings. I don't know where I'm at. Rufus, I think I said. Asuncrintus, uh, Philogian, Hermes, Probatus, Hermes, the other brothers and sisters with him. Verse 15. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nurseus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's not be creepy about that one, okay? It's just in there. Let's not get weird. All the churches in Christ send greetings. Then he gives a, a, a quick chunk I'll, I'll mention in a second. But back down to verse 21. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sociopater, my fellow Jews. And then verse 22. This is awesome. So Paul uses a secretary whenever he's writing his letters, for the most part. He's, he's dictating to someone who's probably more ed, like better at writing than he is. They're getting his main points. They can go home, compose what he wants to write, bring it back to him, say, all right, Paul, here's what I got. Check it out. Is this what you want to say? Oh, yeah, maybe change that, keep that. Or he might go, yep, that's it. So the secretary for this particular letter is a guy named, verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. I love that. Like, he's so excited to say hi. He's like, is Paul looking? No. Hey, it's me, Tertius. How's it going, guys? And what's also funny about this guy is that, anyone know what his name means, Tertius? It's Latin. What? Yeah, he's the third. Very creative dad. Uh, that's the third. <clears throat> Moving on. It's, the Romans are like, it's Quartus, like the fourth, the fifth. That's how they named their kids. Okay, back to the story. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Hospitality. The joy of Hospitality. My goodness, right? The Comais are here. Like, Comais, you'd be in this letter for hospitality. It's like, like, greet them. Their hospitality will blow your mind. Absolutely blow your mind. Like, there are so many people um, with hospitality in this community. Erastus, the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus sends you his greetings. I just want you to, like, to to, to see what's going on here. What is the big point and the big deal? Why this long list? And why did the Holy Spirit and the genius of God decide to save that and not just kind of cut it, leave it on the, on the cutting room floor and move to 1 Corinthians? Why is that? I think because what we are seeing modeled and played out for us here is the lived out, realized, though not perfectly, but realized loving God and loving others. It's not just preached about by Paul. It's lived out by Paul. And you're going to hear about it, and you're going to see it when you encounter him, his network, or his letters. It's so critical that he is not just about talk. We live in a world, right, of so much talk, so much rhetoric, so much punditry. People going, okay, look, what I'm really interested in is dot, 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 and, and, and trying to get the conversation in their court or their team's court. Or everything's a point scoring for someone else, politically, ideologically, whatever. And to actually see and taste and experience True relationships. Is something powerful? Is it perfect? No. Is it, is it important? Absolutely. We get to see in Romans 16 the caravan of love. The caravan of love that traveled with the, God, the good news. It wasn't just good news about an abstract God that you could kind of think about once in a while. It was the good news that has lived out in the actual community. You could see, touch, feel, experience. It's the cries and the hopes and the heartbreaks it's the fights that get resolved in the Lord. It's the tensions. It's, it's the celebrations that are taking place. It's the lost, the funerals. It's the baby dedications. It's all of those beautiful little Lego blocks that make up this incredible masterpiece called the already not yet kingdom of God lived out in the church today. 
So why not just go home and like listen to podcasts on Sunday morning? They're the best. I listen to Erwin McManus, Mosaic Church. He's my favorite preacher. I listen to that guy's podcast like crazy. He's insane. He is a thousand times better than I will ever dream to be at articulating God's word. Why not just go home and listen to his thing and then put on like Hillsong and kind of just sit around like this in your room like, all right, I got my church today. Maybe a slow spin. Why is that not sufficient? Because there's something about, there's something irreplaceable about incarnational connection. About being around faces, and I, I'm spoiled because I look at your faces, and I see your eyes, and I see your smiles. And some scowls, no, mostly smiles. I see it, and I experience it, right? I get to. But that's something that, it, you, when you do that, when you show up, the why of church you begin to participate in those walks in the garden in the cool of the day with the Lord. Those walks in the garden in the cool of the day with the Lord. The last, um, by the way, your notes, the outline, I just gave that a long time ago this week, and I don't know if they apply at all. They're just kind of fun to read, so keep those. <laughs> but verse 17, as I transition over, um, Verse 17, where he says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from those people. He just warns the church. Like, there are going to be folks that want to make it about their stuff. They want to make it about their agenda. They want to take the church, co-opt it, and cause dissensions and spread that gangrene. He goes, you've got to be so careful of that. You have to be different. So protect that at all costs. Protect that. So as we come to the close of the letter, the very last three verses, um, where Paul transitions to the last words he's going to leave with the Roman church, um, I want us to remember the garden. I want us to remember the, the picture of what life is all about. And then I want you to see um, how this is articulated and sort of the, the, where, where is the gaze of Paul going as he closes this letter out. And I thought, if, and it's going to God, spoiler alert, he's turning now to the face of God. And if you want to hear someone who is just like saturated and like pulsating with thoughts about God, talk to a passionate seminarian. Someone who's been in seminary and it's like towards the end of it and has been thinking about these things. And so I go, look, Brooke Andrews, we've known Brooke for like since we were junior high, I think, and my wife's small group. I go, Brooke, would you come and bring us home, close us off with, with uh, ten, minutes of, ten minutes or so of reflection on this last chunk of Scripture. So, Brooke, would you come up here and bring it home, and I'll untie this for you. We're going to use the microphone here. There you go. Thanks, James. Thank you. Man, okay, is, if anybody is a walking caravan of love, it's James, right? I mean, seriously, James and Bray live this out. I've been, like James said, in part of their ministry and their family since I was a junior hire, and I have totally experienced this and you've experienced this at the river i'm sure that that picture of the caravan of love that is the church because of god so i want to take us back really quickly as i close um this morning to kindergarten well before kindergarten yesterday i was with the hollers and i was hanging out and i was watching my goddaughter margo and she's playing and and I decided to do a party trick for her. So I throw some popcorn up in the air and catch it in my mouth. And she is staring at me like I am a hero. Like her face is, she's laughing. She thinks I'm amazing. And, and she's just full of awe and wonder. It's like 
anything I could do that's funny. I mean, she'd laugh, like belly laugh. And she smiles and her face lights up and she looks at me and she's just filled with awe. And it's just such a sweet thing to see in the face of a child. And so I thought, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to when we were children. And I thought, Sunday school, what was Sunday school about as kids? The stories, right? You walked away from Sunday school every week with a story about something God did in the Bible, right? What are your favorites? Noah, Noah, God saved Noah from the flood. What else? Yeah, yeah, Joseph, David and Goliath, God saved David from the big guy. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego from the furnace. That was like one of my favorites. Jonah from the belly of the whale or the fish or whatever it is, right? Okay, these are some of our favorite stories. And what do they do? They all put God on display. We walk away. We walked away as kids thinking, oh, my gosh, God is so big. He could do anything. There's a song um, that I remembered that I actually learned in Sunday school. And my husband said it wasn't a real song. (laughs) And so I sang it at the beach, and everyone started singing along. So I'll see if you know. It goes, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so she knows it. This is a real song. Thank you very much. Yeah, one person. Okay, but seriously, so point proven, it's a real song. But anyway, the words are so simple, and it's so, it's so crystal clear and beautiful, right? The words, this is the words. This is the whole song. Well, there's a verse or two, but this is the chorus. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That is the headspace that Paul is in when he comes to these last two verses in Romans. That's where he is. My God is so big. He's like, look at, look at what I just wrote. Is anybody looking? This is crazy. Look what just happened. Have you read the book of, I mean, you've been talking about it in your grounded groups. You've been processing it. You've been reading. You've been here the last couple of weeks. Paul is like, it, is anybody with me in, in looking at this passage and thinking, whoa, God, look at what you just gave me. So I'm going to read these two, these last two verses, and I want you to be there with me with Paul. He says this, verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you or strengthen you, according to my gospel, the revelation given to Paul, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, what's the mystery that's been kept? Salvation through Jesus Christ but is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, Old Testament, according to the commandment of the eternal God, there's a lot of words in here, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. There's a lot of words. What's the point? Paul is saying, if you've been reading what I just wrote, and if you're with me on this journey, there is no other response that is appropriate other than to just stop and say, wow, God, what? To you be the glory forever and ever. Whoa, man. And this is the story. This is not just Paul in Romans. This is what happens throughout the whole Bible. There's so many doxologies, which is just basically means praise to God. 
And they all come after stories of God's righteousness and after talking about salvation, right? Because when you stop and you think about the truth of salvation and what it really means, there's no other way to respond than like, God, you are so good and mighty and powerful and great. Wow. I'm going to read a couple of them, a couple of my favorites. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. He already said that, right? (laughs) Great is the Lord, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. He already said that. He just keeps rambling because he's praising God. He's like, I don't have the words. I just want to honor my God. Whoa. I shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty, your wonderful works. I will meditate. A couple of other of my favorites. Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God. They keep saying that. The only God. Our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. One more. Revelation. Love this one. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? You see where this is going? These are sounding the same. This is the most important part of the whole doxology and where Paul is going with all of this. This is the main point. The only thing I want you to walk away with is... Paul is not just throwing, like, cred to God at the end of the book of Romans. It's not like photo cred at the bottom of your Instagram caption that goes, like, way, way, way down at the bottom. And, like, sometimes people click on it, sometimes they don't. It's not like an Academy Awards speech where they think, like, 200 people out of obligation. They have to say, like, everybody's names as fast as they can, and then the music starts rolling, and then they're walking off and still talking. It's not like that. It's not like, you know, a an obligatory... Um, sales email with an update of here's what you know business update and who we need to honor this week whatever okay this is the keyword here is overflow this is overflow out of the unbelievable things God's been doing he says hey God saved us from death trespasses and sin made us alive with Christ because of his great mercy and love for us. And not only that, he seats us in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come we might know the surpassing riches of his greatness and kindness in Christ Jesus. And Paul's like, what? Just gotta, it's about to pop. All, of the, all the emotion, all the excitement. It's just, I have to stop and praise God. It's overflow. It's overflow. So one quick embarrassing story, and then I'll close. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I was um, praying with some women this Saturday. We, pray, we meet on the beach right where we have church, and we pray together. And we just pray about where the Lord is leading us, about vision for our church, our community, our dreams, our heart. Like, what is God up to? And so this Saturday, yesterday, yesterday, I got out of bed at 530, and got my clothes on, got to the beach and we meet up and we're kind of waiting for everybody to show up and we're just chit chatting. And I'm kind of looking at my watch cause I like love 
to accomplish what I go to things to accomplish. And I think in my head, like, what is this about? We came to pray. I'm looking at my watch. It's now 6.15. We still haven't started praying. And I'm like, okay, <clears throat> are we going to start praying, everybody? This is embarrassing for me to admit, okay? But I'm, people are, st- are talking. So any, anyway, this is the point. Something changed. Something happened. Somebody starts sharing what the Lord is doing in her life. And I mean, like, whoa, the Lord is doing some amazing stuff in her life. And then somebody else was like, oh, my gosh, here's what the Lord's doing in my life. Here's what I'm excited about. Here's the vision that he gave me for this community or this Bible study that I want to lead or this space, this place. And we're stopping and we're like, whoa, that's amazing. Let's celebrate with you. Here's what the Lord's doing in my marriage. Here's what the Lord's doing in my kids' lives. One by one, we're going around sharing. We still haven't started praying. But let me tell you, I totally forgot about my watch. Because when we started talking, when I started sharing, here's my dreams. Here's what I want to see the Lord do. Here's what I believe the Lord to do. We're focusing on the greatness and the power and the work of God. And when we hit our knees to pray after that, whatever time it was, there was no obligatory, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. And we thank the Lord for this beautiful day. That's great. But I mean, this was real emotion. Emotion. We were like, Lord, look at what you are doing in our lives. Look at where you're leading us. We believe you. We've seen it. These are all the things we just shared. We just talked about it together. We're celebrating with each other. We're overwhelmed by your power and your greatness and your majesty. You are at work and it's crazy. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. How can we be a part of it? We're humbled and we want to see more. We're hungry for more. Thank you, Lord. This was the real deal. Why? Because it was out of the overflow. Because we spent time talking about what the Lord is doing and who he is. And that's what led us to true, genuine worship and praise. So this morning, I like to ask us to do something a little uncomfortable. I would like us to group up in groups of three, three only, um, because I want each person to be able to share. But okay, so I'm going to preface this. Sometimes um, we hear about God's salvation and we are processing this in our grounded group and we're overwhelmed by what the Lord has given us in the gift of salvation. And other times we read it and we're not overwhelmed. We just don't feel moved. We don't feel emotion. We don't feel whatever. So I'd like to encourage us because I think one of the things that um, really challenges me is stopping to look back and Think about what the Lord has done in my life. And not only that, stopping to listen to what the Lord is doing in other people's lives, that makes me go, whoa, I forgot, or I wasn't looking, or I didn't see or pay attention, or I want to celebrate with that person. So we're going to gather in groups of three, and I'd like you to share with the group out loud one thing that you are celebrating, glorifying God for doing in your life. Brad's going to come up and play a little music for us, and then I'll close us with uh, a word of prayer and a final song.